you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lord. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 37, Revelation of the Daleks Story Review. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. What's up, guys? Can I interest you in some intergalactic potted meat? No thanks. How's it going, Paul? <laughs> Pretty good. Good. Can't, can't complain too much, let me put it that way. Well, there you go. Well, <laughs> we are motoring right along with our episodes here. Um, as of right now, surprise, surprise, there is no uh, Doctor Who news to speak of at this moment. Yeah. Especially since we're not getting new episodes until, oh, you know, say about a year from now. Well, I wouldn't say a year. Christmas. Well, we're getting the Christmas episode, but the season (laughs) itself won't start till like, March or April, probably. Yeah. (sighs) That sucks. Yes. Uh, Phoenix Comic Con, which I'll be going to at the beginning of June, just announced a couple more Doctor Who actors that are going to be there. Uh, we already knew Alex Kingston and Billy Piper, uh, you know, Rose and River, were going to be there. They And I'm blanking on the names of the actors right now, but we just got announced that uh, Madame Vastra and Strax, their actors, are going to be there. So Nice. Uh, yeah. The lizard one and the potato one. Yes. <laughs> I don't take advice from a psychotic potato dwarf. <laughs> I suggest a full frontal assault with laser monkeys and acid. Oh, <laughs> uh, stress. Oh, nice. This will be a big Doctor <laughs> Who, you know, uh, happening, going on uh, at Phoenix Comic Con oh, nice. in the beginning here in June. So uh, I will be, I'll be looking forward to that, and we'll see if I have the money and or time to catch all of them doing stuff. I'm... <laughs> 
I'm hoping that we'll <clears throat> do a panel together so I don't have to like be running around all over the place trying to see all of them. I'm not hopeful <laughs> about that, though. So crossing my fingers and praying that I can get a TARDIS so I can just be everywhere at once. This episode, we are going to be talking about the sixth Doctor Dalek episode entitled Revelation of the Daleks. <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, this was uh, aired in season 22, and it was the sixth and final storyline from that season. It was uh, released March 23rd and 30th of 1985 uh, in two 45-minute episodes, uh, similarly to Resurrection of the Daleks. And... Uh, only about a year later, we're lessening the time between Dalek story arcs. It uh, was written, written again by Eric Saward, uh, so same writer who wrote uh, Resurrection of the Daleks, the Fifth Doctor one, which you can tell because there are some story points that got picked up. Overall thoughts on this episode before we jump into some of the details and the characters. I thought it was interesting. Um, I, I think I pointed this out to you the last time I watched it, um, the tone specifically of this episode um, reminded me a lot of seasons one and two of the revival series uh, in in their tone, especially some of the episodes like uh, where they had the the hospital with the the cat nuns and those types of things. Uh, I saw a lot of tonal similarities to the way that this story was set up and, and the, the way that this story was told to a lot of the uh, uh, RTD episodes in seasons one and two of the new series. Yeah, the, Doctor Who is definitely um, really establishing a, a, a tone and a way that they do things uh, at this point that sets the groundwork for the new who series when that airs um and we'll see that even more when we talk about our next episode remembrance of the daleks it, it's <laughs> definitely setting a, a tone and sort of a, of a blueprint uh, a foundation for the new series to build up off of the, the thing is is i like this episode mm -hmm. but i wish i liked it more than i did mm -hmm. uh and we'll get into those details later but i as many story elements that were in the this story, I felt like it moved really slowly, and there wasn't enough of the Doctor in it. It was Doctor Light, I will say that. Yeah, and which is a shame because I know Colin Baker gets the short end of the stick a lot of times uh, as being the other Baker, and uh, you know not one of the most loved of the doctors uh but i really enjoy his doctor and and i think that this episode would have been better served if we had gotten more with him and a little bit more following a singular storyline than all the little details and plot points that were out there again and you know similar to what well, we experienced with resurrection of the daleks last time so well it's the same writer it so. is but now, one thing that I will say about uh, the Sixth Doctor, I think a lot of people get hung up on the outside appearance more so than 
anything else. And I think that a lot of times because of the uh, multicolored suit and everything, people look at it and automatically come to an opinion before they've ever even seen the performance. Right. You know, uh, and I think that, that that's unfortunate. And that's actually something that he had an issue with himself. You know, he didn't actually pick that outfit out. No. You know, he wanted uh, something more along the lines of what Peter Capaldi is wearing now. Uh, no, he, black, he wanted more you know, what Christopher Eccleston got. Well, well, what I, I mean is he, he wanted to have like the black silhouette, you know, mm. of, you know, the dark pants, dark jacket, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. with just a little bit of flare of color in it. You know, uh, that's what I'm referring to. Gotcha. Peter, Peter Capaldi, um, because Peter Capaldi specifically said he wanted the black silhouette, you know, and that was sort of the same thing that, that, uh, Colin Baker uh, wanted. Yeah. He, he wanted to have that, that black silhouette and they, instead they gave him the polar opposite of that. Right. They made him rainbow man. Exactly. (laughs) So it's a shame because his doctor is the best part of his run. Uh, I mean, some of the stories, I will admit, the writing's not great, and the execution of some of the the, the stories isn't as good uh, in some of them as others, but his characterization of the Doctor is always the highlight for me in every one of his stories. Uh, it can be argued that you're going to have the same issues with any of the Doctors, though, when it comes to writing and execution. Uh, but but for some reason, his era seems to suffer a bit on the production side. Well, they, they were going lower and lower and lower on the budget. So Yeah, yeah. and we'll, I'll get into some more interesting details about that sort of thing after There's, we talk about the story. There is literally an episode where they have Christmas tree tinsel for part of one of the props just because they need something that's shiny and glittery and didn't have anything else they could use. Right. That's just sad. Yes. <laughs> but as a character, I, I love Colin Baker's Sixth Doctor. He's one that I, I think deserves a second look. But he also has a companion that I know in the general feeling out there for people that have only really seen the TV series and haven't delved into Big Finish, Perry, who some people find really obnoxious. Uh, or annoying. Is, or annoying. And what is your opinion on Perry? I think she has to grow on you. I, I think that she, I I have come to to she's not my favorite companion. I'll be honest, but she, I have come to respect the character. Um, but I do think that she is played up a lot of times as being rather shallow and somewhat whiny sometimes Mm -hmm. and you actually see that at the beginning of this episode she's being whiny and fussy and you know and i almost wonder because she uh she is an american i almost wonder if if they're poking the americans with the stick with Mm. this character uh kind of uh, out of fun you know gotcha it's it's a possibility she Perry as a character is a American student who was traveling in Europe when she ran across the fifth doctor uh, and ended up joining the TARDIS and of course stuck around for the regeneration had a bit of a traumatic experience right off the bat. I must say 
as the doctor was coming down from a rather rough regeneration. He attempted to strangle her at one point because he thought that she was trying to kill him. Mm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> thankfully she found a way out of that one. However, well, that's uh, probably not the strangest thing we've seen happen after regeneration, but, you know. Regrowing a hand is rather bizarre. Um, but that's neither here nor there. The, the the thing is, is I'm coming at this from having seen her whole arc at this point. And mm-hmm. while, like you said, she's not one of my favorite companions, she's she's deeper than I think most people give her a chance for. You just have to look below the surface and part of the surface that's so hard to deal with sometimes is the fact that she's a british actress with a very british accent in her normal life Mm -hmm. who's being told to portray an american and she can't quite keep the accent straight all the time (laughs) and as someone who is an american we can really notice that you know sometimes she's from different parts of the country than others and other times the accent slips a little bit altogether and you get a little bit of her british intonations any you know in there anyways and and it's like for me as an american i can really tell and i think as an american that sort of grates the american audience a bit when it's like you don't understand and you're not getting it right (laughs) but see we weren't the initial audience either right so you know you gotta come up with that so it's one of those things where you you sort of have to give the actress a pass because she was told to play it that way. Right. And uh, she's still saying British slang in an American accent because they didn't <laughs> want to have it too jarring, I guess. Right. But, you know, it's just odd sometimes. Well, um, sometimes the voice in general just comes off as odd, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because it doesn't sound... As, as if it's completely sincere. That is true. That is true. And, you know, she, I remember her saying, is that bad? And it's like, is that really an accent? You know? <laughs> I mean, it, it's like it, it's like you're doing American-ish rather than yeah. American. You know? And it's like, I, I'm sure people from England and the UK feel the same way when we, you know, start doing all British accents, you know, where we do this. And it's like, (laughs) oh, that's more Australian or whatever, you know, I don't know. But I don't know. But I'm sure I'm sure the the reverse is true. But so you kind of have to get past that. This isn't one of her better stories, but she has a couple of neat little moments with the DJ. But we'll get to that later. Let's go ahead and jump into this story. The TARDIS has landed on the planet Necros, which is a funeral home planet, and the suspended animation center Tranquil Repose is there. Uh, The Sixth Doctor and Perry have come to visit a deceased acquaintance of the Doctor's, and I'm forgetting his name. It's not really important because it's just a plot point at this point. (laughs) We've never actually met the character before. Yeah, he is a MacGuffin. Yes. And the interesting thing about this is I was wondering why why the doctor didn't just, you know, park the TARDIS right at the center, but he parks it in the woods, you know, probably about a mile or two away. Um, is the is the randomizer still in the TARDIS? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's as close as he could get. <laughs> it's possible. Uh, but it's snowing and uh, well not snowing, but there's snow on the ground, it's cold, and they both 
the Doctor and Perry are wearing these bright blue overcoats and cloaks because that's the color of mourning on Necros, and so you have to be respectful of other people's customs, Perry. And, and, I, yeah. and you're like, well, do you? Are you always respectful of other people's customs? <laughs> no. no. Um, <laughs> he even goes so far as to say, and all women's legs must be covered completely. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, <laughs> That that's that's part of the customs here, and uh, right. she's like, "Oh, it's p- positively medieval." <laughs> was Perry's response. The interesting thing about tranquil repose is that we get a lot of activity going on mm-hmm. in the story at this institution. There's a group of of people preparing a a body of this ruler's wife for burial, yeah. and he's supposed to be coming. The president's wife. The, there we go. The president's wife um, yes. for for burial, and he's supposed to be coming soon for the the ceremony. And so there's Joe Bell, who's the chief embalmer and horrible person. He is uh, very stuck on himself. Oh, incredibly stuck on himself, <laughs> and stuck on all the pretty ladies. Too. Good actor though. He was bizarre though. I the, he's not a nice <laughs> person. This character. No. He's not a nice man. Not in the <laughs> slightest. I'm just going to set all the scenes here. We also have uh, a pair of people named Natasha and Grigory uh, who have illegally entered Tranquil Repose looking for the scientist that the doctor is supposed to be visiting. Oh, here's his name. Arthur Stengos. There we go. Um, who is Natasha's father. And they're often referred to in the story as grave robbers. But they're they're illegally trying to find Mr. Sengos. We also have a situation where the CEO of Tranquil Repose, I don't know what her title is specifically, uh, but she and her secretary, a man whose professional job is flattery, are having troubles and issues dealing with the great healer who has made their little uh, their little enterprise rather successful because of the fact that he's helping them to create this this food this synthesized protein to help the growing galaxy that's in that area because there's so much people coming in and settling that they're running out of food and so they're providing the synthetic protein and it's very successful but he keeps asking for more money this dynamic between these two actors reminded me a lot of Cassandra and mm. and her uh, Chip, yeah, and Chip Cassandra the, the... and Chip. See, this is the kind of stuff that I was talking about that directly mm-hmm. gave me that vibe of season one, season two of New Who. This yeah. exact stuff, you know. Yeah. No, I now <laughs> that you mentioned it, it's totally Cassandra and Chip. <laughs> um, Moisturize me. Moisturize me. <laughs> anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Cassandra. Yeah, it was exactly that same dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not not only that, you know, the character we were talking about before. Joe Bell? Yeah, the weird, icky kind of creeper way that he acted, but at the same time tried to have this air of of uh, charisma and stuff about him, mm-hmm. it was very much the same type of tone that you got with some of the RTD episodes. Yeah, definitely. It, 
it's just there's a lot of weird characters in this episode and they're supposed to be weird and then finally there's a big surprise about this character the great healer he's not actually the great healer that's just the moniker he's going by right now because if the public knew who the great healer really was they would always be second guessing him and would you like to reveal who the great healer is davros yes it is davros i have a question okay how did you feel about the way that they brought davros into this story as the great healer i did not like the reveal of davros in this story at all because it was literally like we show the doctor and perry walking outside and then we just shift to the inside and suddenly we're in a room with Davros and the Daleks looking at the doctor on a screen and you have lost the mystery completely as to who the, uh, the great healer is and everything from the jump. You know, there was no climactic reveal or anything in this of Davros, the, the way that there has been in the past. Right. Right. That was one of the interesting things about this episode is that, we knew instantly, I mean, aside from the title, almost, uh, almost instantly, that the Daleks were back. And it maybe is just the format change, but the the thing is, is from the first couple scenes, we saw the Daleks and we saw Davros. And see, it wasn't even the Daleks that I had an issue with necessarily, because we knew from the title the Daleks were going to be in it. Mm-hmm. It was the fact that we were led to believe at the end of the last story arc that Davros had gotten the virus and died. Right. And so because of that, in my mind, I'm thinking you need to have some type of a reveal for Davros instead of just making it, oh, well, there's Davros. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't think that they played that up nearly as well as they should have. I, I can I can see that. What did you think of his portrayal in this episode? Because he's, when we first meet him, he's not in his chair. He's a no. head in a jar on a table, basically. Right. Uh, well, th- th- this big computer console, I-, I suppose. What did you think about that? He's basically on a rotor, and he his head turns in different directions uh, based on where he wants to look. And uh, at first, I was thinking... Well, that just explains that he was more damaged in the last episodes, uh, and so therefore he's there's virtually nothing left of him. That that was my initial thoughts, um, and so for me, it seemed believable. Like maybe he was just uh, maybe a spine and a head or something, and that he was being kept alive by life support. You know. Uh, so it, it wasn't that big of a jump for me, at least in my thoughts on that part. No, I, I would agree. I would agree. Getting back to the Doctor, he and Perry are making their way across the uh, cold, uh, snowy terrain, and they're being stalked by some sort of mutant. And he eventually jumps out and attacks the Doctor, and they get into this fisticuffs scuffle and ultimately perry comes to the doctor's rescue by hitting this mutant over the head with a stick that she's picked up and has apparently done more damage to him than we thought because the 
the way that she's hitting him doesn't look very painful. No, doesn't look like she's hitting him very hard at all. But, but then he no. starts dying. Yeah, the weird thing for me, uh, the very first time I watched this, uh, of course, you know, I watched all of the Dalek Davros episodes back to back. So I had a different perception, I guess, than uh, you would have watching them um, in the normal intended way. Um, but my first thought was, why is there a Muto on this planet? <laughs> you know, <laughs> because uh, that was the first thing that I thought of is I thought the Mutos were on Scaro. Um, and so that kind of made me think, you know, back and think that maybe the Mutos on Scaro were not all messed up by the radiation and stuff as much as they may have been messed up experiments of Davros. Which, once uh, the the mutant has been subdued and he's dying there in the doctor's arms, he apologizes for attacking and then reveals that he was made a mutant by the great healer who used him as an experiment. And his appearance and his hostility was caused by those experiments. And the doctor asks who the great healer is, but the mutant dies in his arms first. And it, it's interesting. We get a, a little interchange with Perry and the doctor, with Perry you know, coming to grips with the fact that she killed the mutant. It's interesting because the doctor here, you can tell there's a lot under the surface with what he's thinking and what he's feeling right now because he suspects, you know, probably what's going on with the great healer and he doesn't like it. But all he says to Perry is that you didn't have a choice. There was not really any words of comfort or, or anything. It was, well, you had no choice, but she's there obviously shaken by the fact that she's in a large way responsible for this being's death. Yeah, the fact that he forgave her for it, I think, made it even more difficult for her because that was something she specifically said. She says, I killed him and he forgave me. You yeah. Know? And she said it almost in that exact tone. You know, uh, there are some times, like I said, that the voice gets to me. I, I can see that, you know, it's. Yeah. But, but yeah, it. it... It was interesting, but they, they never dwelled on it, and they, they never returned to that idea. And it was like a, a nice little moment, but then it, it just sort of was a moment and nothing more. And, and the doctor didn't really have any any words of comfort or anything. It was just like, well, you had no choice. And well, he just it, continues on. It almost felt like a throwaway situation, because it seemed like that the only reason that this got put in is so that the doctor would have some kind of questions about the the great healer. But the thing is, if he'd left it out, he was still going to the same place anyway. Right. You know, so what was the real true purpose for it even being there? Exactly. It, it It's frustrating because, as I said from the outset, there's a lot going on in this. A lot of story elements and a lot of you know, multiple plots being threaded together. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't really feel like it all meshes. And it feels like there was too much focused on, well, let's get this subplot and that subplot and make it even more, you know, of a big deal because of this plot over here. 
and they just never meshed, and we didn't really get a cohesive through line as to which plot was the most important. See, that's sort of, which I was one of the four people in America, I think, that watched the Fantastic Four movie, but that's sort of the same type of scenario you have with that. It's like, okay, this part of the movie feels like one cohesive thing, like it's all written by one person, it makes sense, it flows, and then you get to this next part of the movie, and it just feels like it's going in 15 different directions. It feels like that it's lost all coherent thought. Uh, you know, the, the theme that was going through the movie feels like it gets lost. And that's sort of the same thing that I'm feeling with this. In certain places, it feels a little chaotic. And I feel like that there's certain things that could have been left out and the story would have still been just as, as easy to follow or probably easier to follow and, and mm. would have probably been a better story without some of that stuff. I agree. One character that we didn't mention earlier is the DJ. And since Tranquil Repose is a place where everyone is supposed to be in suspended animation, they have a DJ to play music, give, you know, well wishes to those who are in suspended animation. It's an interesting concept, an interesting idea. But <laughs> like, I've felt... It's better than what Davros dealt with in suspended animation for 90 years, right? That is true, you know. <laughs> at least for them, it's it's not 90 years of mind-numbing boredom, you know. Um, it's 90 years of... A bizarre DJ who can't decide what genre he likes. Exactly. <laughs> and can't quite find the American accent he's inspired by. Well, he, he changed it like four or five times. He did. And none of them was really good. <laughs> the character's, the character's kind of neat. And uh, by the end of it, I, I kind of liked him. But at the beginning, I was like, he's just so over the top. And I, I, like, I like the character himself. I don't yeah. like the character that he plays as the character. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the characterization <laughs> of, of his on-mic persona. Right. His on-mic persona is just... Over way, the top. Yeah, was the exact words I was going to use. Way over the top. Way over the top. <laughs> He's like, yeah. And I'm like, no. <laughs> it was fun. It was It was fun, but... It, it, it was fun without being funny. Exactly. You know? And I think I, the whole point was that he was supposed to be funny. Right. <laughs> and when we actually get to meet the, the actual... DJ, not his persona. Right. He becomes a much more likable character, but his persona, his his on mic persona, is just crazy. And I'm like, <laughs> can we tone it down just a bit? Yeah. That's not that's not the American DJ that you really think you're doing. Anyways. <laughs> and you know, one other, I think that in a, I think in a few places in this story, um, they took the opportunity to make a few jabs at Americans anyway. I think uh, so. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all in fun, I'm sure. But, you know, uh, it was because there's there's at one point uh, where the doctor actually makes a comment about America not having the monopoly on bad taste. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the doctor does say that in this. He's like, oh. <laughs> America doesn't have the monopoly on bad taste. It's like, oh, thanks for that. 
then you flash forward to season one of the new series, and one of the characters that people end up loving the most is Captain Jack, which just mm. ha- happens to be the American character. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we've got... We've got this series, you know, this storyline sort of making fun of Americans in a sense. <laughs> and then, you know, Captain Jack, who's like the cool cowboy, space right? cowboy sort of American. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's awesome. But yeah, no, not 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 in this one. The Americans are kind of, you know, in bad taste here with this story arc. Uh, there are three other characters that I need to mention because they all have important things later. But this just sort of gives you the idea of how many people are crammed into this story. Because they're not even all the characters that I'm going to mention. But we have three people here that work uh, at uh, Tranquil Repose. We have Tassin Beaker, who is a female orderly, basically. she She's working under Jobel. And she was an interesting character to me. Yeah. She's got a thing for Jobel. Jobel has no thing for her, and that presents a problem later. He has more than no thing for her. He has contempt for her. That is very true. Yeah. We get into that. And then we have Tacus and Lilt, who are these two guys who I don't really know what their jobs are. They're sort of like <laughs> the flower arrangers slash security staff. I was going to say flower arrangers slash bouncers. Uh, right. <laughs> and I don't really know what they do, except the fact that they're there. Well, I think there's supposed to be some comic irony in the fact that they are supposed to be the muscle and the flower arrangers at the same time. <laughs> it's <laughs> odd. But let's get back towards one of these plots. Natasha and Grigory have discovered that... Arthur Stengoss is not the body in the suspended animation chamber that he's supposed to be in. They say it was a mannequin? Yeah. It's a mannequin. It's not actually a body. You know, it, it, there's a mannequin in there, and now they have it's, to figure out what's going on. It's an auton. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, fold the hand down and we'll start shooting you. Um, exactly. <laughs> No, 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 not Wouldn't yet. that have been but... an interesting plot twist? <laughs> oh, there you go. Autons and Daleks. So they keep trying to dig into what's going on and figure out everything that's going on with this and trying to find Arthur Stengos, her father. Uh, they end up going down into this chamber where you know, there's a bunch of experiments going and they're, they're human brains in these jars and they're keeping them alive and doing stuff to them and they're not quite sure what's going on. And as they look around this chamber... There in the corner is this clear Dalek frame with a head, a human head in it, that's being mutated and stuff is being grown out of it to create the the inside part of the Dalek. This actually, to me, seemed like the birth or the origin of what would be known later as the One-Eyed Dalek. Because this is the first time that you see a Dalek that has any type of facial features at all. Yeah. Um, and, and you can only see the one eye. And, you know, so to me, and, and, and also the texture of the, the surface on the top and everything looked a lot like the, the brain texture and stuff that you see in the modern Daleks. So to me, this was sort of the point where you start to have the transition 
over into that new form. You yeah. Know? It's creepy, to say the least, because then the the head inside this opens its eye and uh, looks directly at Natasha and says her name. Turns out that's Arthur Stangos, her father, and he's being yeah. transformed into a Dalek. Uh, and we get this crazy scene where she doesn't know what to do about it. He explains what's going on and that the brains of the elite, because Tranquil Repose is basically a place where the elite go to be, uh, you know, have their life extended, basically. Those with money, those with power, want their life to be extended, and when the technology is able to either cure the disease that they've got, or there's the ability to extend their life, then they'll be reanimated. And so he says that they're taking the most influential minds from this, and yeah. they're changing them into Daleks. And then he gets to the point where his Dalek programming starts to take over, and he starts alternating between the traditional Dalek mantra of you'll be destroyed, you'll be exterminated, Daleks but, are... Well, the Daleks the must be the supreme race of the galaxy. And begging his daughter to kill him because this is worse than dying. See, this is something that I felt like was a slight missed opportunity because I felt like that they could have upped the creep factor on this even more if they had done the the full-on robotic Dalek voice effect on this entire thing and not actually shown his mouth moving. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, because what you ended up with was just his regular human voice speaking in a Dalek tone, and you're sitting there watching him say this with his human mouth, basically. Of course, it's made up to look like it's got teeth on the outside, I think, at this point or whatever. But, you know, I think that this would have been even scarier for me if you had seen the mutated face, but you didn't see his mouth, and you you heard the voice coming from the Dalek speaker system in the the framework. Mm. Uh, I think that would have really upped it for me, you know, on the creep factor. That's just my opinion. Uh, that being said, it's still one of the best scenes in the show, in this in this story, is is his going back and forth there. It, was, it was very Gollum-like. It was creepy, it was well-performed, <laughs> and it was uh, taken seriously. Yeah. And at the end of it, Natasha ends up shooting him and destroying the, the Dalek in creation. And the fact that his daughter had to kill him made it even a bigger deal. Now we start getting into even more of the the political machinations that are going on here at Tranquil Repose. Kara, who who's the, the leader here, the, the CEO of Tranquil Repose, and the one who owns the, the factories, the, the synthetic protein factories that are she and the great healer have been working on, has sent for an assassin. She's tired of being under the the thumb of Davros and wants all the money that is being made from this uh, food-producing venture for herself. Devros even says, look, I created this technology. I am entitled to this money. Right. You know, but she doesn't agree. Exactly. She doesn't want to share any of it at all. 
Uh-uh. Who they hire to, to assassinate Davros is a mercenary named Orsini and his squire Bostock. Orsini is a disgraced member of the Knights of Oberon. Now, this is someone that I, a group that I hadn't heard of before, but everyone in the story knows who they are. Orsini is a very skilled warrior, you know, an honorable man. His squire, though, has a little bit of a... Uh, he's got some issues. Yeah, he's got some cleanliness issues. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. <laughs> he said he smells like rotted meat. <laughs> it's funny that they make him smell like that, considering what's going on here at... I know, right? <laughs> At Tranquil Repose. Uh, <laughs> but Orsini accepts the contract to kill Davros for the honor of, of ridding the universe of this horrible person. Kara gives him this, this box, this transmitter, that when he enters Davros's headquarters, which are deep down in the, the uh, catacombs below Tranquil Repose, uh, he's supposed to enter this five-button sequence into it, in order to alert her so that she can send her forces in to help wrap everything up and, you know, eliminate the Daleks that are there and that sort of thing and any of Davros's sympathizers. That's what she says anyways. Which is really funny that she would say that considering that if she in- intends to do that anyway, why didn't she just do it in the first place rather than bring him in? I don't know. <laughs> But you see, that's not her plan to begin with. Exactly. So. Natasha and Grigory, after killing the Arthur Stengos Dalek, have been captured by Takis and Lilt, who have been trying to track down the grave robbers. And they're not very good at this whole interrogation thing, because they end up getting Grigory drunk uh, <laughs> to try and make him tell the truth. But he's not a good drunk. Like, he's completely out of it drunk. And... You can't answer any questions. As in eyes rolled back in his head, drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the end of the first part of this two-parter, the Doctor and Perry finally arrive at Tranquil Repose, and they start going through the Garden of Fond Memories, where there's all these statues of uh, people who have died. And the Doctor finds a statue with his likeness on it. His current likeness on yeah. it. A memorial headstone or something of that nature. Yeah, and it's this it's this giant thing, and he's, of course, in melodramatic Sixth Doctor fashion, begins to bemoan the fact that this will be his end, and that he's come upon his own future, and he sees the end is nigh, and he has no idea how he shall face this end, and he will never regenerate again. Uh, th- this Sixth Doctor definitely has his melodramatic moments you almost expect him to look at the camera and go i don't want to go (laughs) (laughs) woe is me you You almost expect him to start breaking out into some tragic soliloquy all of a sudden the statue begins to tumble over on top of the doctor and that's where the first episode ends on this cliffhanger of the statue toppling on top of the doctor see now here's the catch if anybody's paying attention at this point then they would have to know the doctor can't be killed by this at this point because he would have already had to have died in the past (laughs) 
in order for the stone to be there in the first place. Right. <laughs> Bootstrap paradox much? Mm. <laughs> As Perry is freaking out about what has happened with the statue on top of the doctor, Jobel exits Tranquil Repose and sees her. And he's more interested in the fact that she's a very pretty woman than her concern for the doctor. Mm. He's a creeper. Yeah, he is extreme he, creeper. Oh, like hardcore. <laughs> like, dear like, Lord, get away from everyone. Everybody that comes in contact with this guy needs a date rate whistle. Oh my God. <laughs> I wish you were joking. <laughs> but it turns out that the statue's not made of stone, and the doctor crawls out from underneath it, now fully convinced that, you know, someone is, is trying to lure him here, because Arthur Stengoss would never voluntarily come to a place like this, and this statue is definitely here to mess with him, and thank you very much, uh, Mr. Jobel, but we can find our way from here, go away. See, I wish we had gotten to this point in the story much earlier, because finally the story starts to pick up in the second part. I don't know why we had to spend an entire half of the story arc with the Doctor and Perry trying to get to this story, Repose. This story would have been told in a one-hour episode if it was done in the new series. Definitely. Because there's... You're not looking at the same type of situation that you would with a legitimate two-parter, in my opinion. You're looking at okay, we need a two-parter here, so we're going to take this and stretch it out again, you know. We're going to put all this filler crap in it just so that uh, we can fit it into two hours, which is the same thing that I mentioned on our last episode that I think that they did a lot of that with the previous episode as well. I hate to, to sound like, you know, Mr. Negative on this, but I think it really hurts the story. Yeah. No, definitely. It, it This story had, as I said from the outset, way too many subplots and not enough forward momentum. And not enough resolution on those subplots. No. And I, I had seen this this episode before before I went and rewatched it for this, this episode for, to, for recording this. And before I went back and watched it, I was like, I remember that not being a too you know too bad of an episode you know I, I think I should I think I'll I'll you know enjoy revisiting this and while there were moments that I really liked in this episode I, I just sat there going oh my gosh I didn't remember how long and drawn out some mm -hmm. of this was and how unnecessarily drawn out some of it was you could actually take all of the good stuff move it around massage it a little bit and link it up together in a certain way and have it be much more doctor centric mm -hmm. and have the same story told in a more condensed manner that would have ended up bringing the doctor, the grave robbers, the assassin and everybody into more of a group type setting towards the middle of the story and been able to have done everything you wanted to do with this story in an hour if it was if it was structured differently. Yeah. The Doctor and Perry go inside to find out more information about Tranquil Repose, and Tassin Beaker is there. She has a little bit of an interaction with Joe Bell, which is awkward, because she's awkward, and 
she sort of gives them the rundown on the place, including the fact that there's the DJ. Harry wants to go meet the DJ because, you know, he's got an American accent. She finds him amusing. And the doctor wants to find out who erected the statue of him. And so he sends Perry off to go meet the DJ, and Jobel graciously offers to take her there, much to Tassin Beaker's chagrin. Tassin Baker is being groomed by the great healer to sort of, you know, be his right-hand person here at Tranquil Repose, which is um, odd, because the great healer hates Jobel because he's annoying. And in this regard, I, I can agree with Davros on that. <laughs> well, he starts manipulating her and twisting her mind to turn against him little by little by little by little by little. And uh, she's already not the most balanced character anyway. No, she's not. And so since she is working for Davros, uh, she takes him through a doorway to go meet those who erected the statue. And of course, on the other side of the door is couple of the Daleks, and um, the Doctor is knocked out and taken away, down to Davros's lair underneath the catacombs. Orsini and his squire are coming up on the perimeter of the, the catacombs where Davros's headquarters are, and uh, they destroy a patrol Dalek which, of course, sets Davros and all of his Daleks on alert. So you, you already can see where this all is heading. Perry goes to meet the DJ and sort of, you know, finds a way to get rid of Jobel as quickly as possible because he's really laying it on thick and not in a nice way. Oh, God, he's like super pedophile creepy. Um, <laughs> it's... Oh... Here, little girl, would you like a candy bar? Almost. Gosh, he's like, <laughs> he even says, you're a pretty girl. I like pretty things. Yeah. And I'm like, stop it! <laughs> makes you your, would have been arrested! Makes your skin crawl. Oh. I mean, the, the actor is doing a great job. He's one of the more believable characters <laughs> in this story, um, acting-wise. But the character he's playing is just not a good person. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm rooting for Davros to kill this guy. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, the Davros is now suspecting that Kyra and her uh, secretary have been conspiring against him with assassins. And so he contacts her and says, oh... I think someone is trying to assassinate me. So in order to protect you, I'm going to send a couple of my Daleks as bodyguards for you. Of course, we all know that that is not what they're there for. <laughs> they, uh, the Daleks arrive, kill the secretary, and bring Kara to Davros. By the time she gets there, Orsini and Bostock have already tried to launch an attack on Davros. The doctor has been thrown into a cell with the two grave robbers, which is how they get together. Orsini and Bostock's attack on Davros is somewhat successful. He empties a clip into Davros's life control system, and the head inside the jar kind of mushes and deflates a bit. And you would think he's dead. This is, of course, after Davros shoots lightning from his third eye thing, 
into Bostock, apparently killing him. But then the real Davros appears in his chair at the top of the stairs behind Orsini, and Orsini's false leg is blown up, and he is zapped with lightning from Davros's hands, and Davros's chair is hovering there. Uh, this is the first time you see Davros or the Daleks hover. Uh, I wish that we'd gotten to hear uh, the the command that the Daleks give, though. Uh, <laughs> I think that would have been really, really fitting if we had been able to hear that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so that it, it triggers their their flotation mechanism or their hovering mechanism, whatever you want to call it. I, I think that just little subtle things like that just really add something for me. I did notice one thing, though. Okay. To me, it seemed a little bit like they jumped the gun on something. And this is what I mean. Uh, they gave Davros the ability to shoot lightning from his hand. Uh-huh. There was nothing about his hand that should have given him the ability to do that. No. His third eye, I could understand a little bit better than his hand, but he mm-hmm. does it from his hand, too. Which See, is- later on, we'll get to future incarnations obviously but later on i could see him having that ability because of what happens here in this what episode. happens in this episode but i feel like that they jumped the gun with giving him that ability in this episode right orsini and bostock had freed the prisoners as a scapegoat so the doctor and natasha and grigory go back to the incubator room and the doctor tells them to destroy the brains scheduled for metamorphosis and that he has to deal with the great healer. So he goes off by himself to do so. Natasha tries to fire her gun at the machinery, but it's out of power. And unfortunately, as they are trying to figure out how to dismantle or stop machinery with the controls, a Dalek is beginning to materialize on the metamorphosis chamber where her father's Dalek was earlier. Perry has met the DJ, who reveals that, you know, he's not actually American. His grandfather had tapes of American radio personalities, and so he always liked that, and so that's why he uses the American persona on the radio and all and all that fun stuff. And they have a nice little, aw, isn't that nice moment. <laughs> but the DJ gets involved with Perry when the doctor tries to communicate with her that she needs to warn the president's ship, which is on arrival approach, to not land on Necros because the Daleks are there. So she's going to use the DJ's equipment to transmit to the president's ship to leave, which of course gets the DJ, who sees everything because he's watching all of what's going on on the security cameras anyway, gets him in trouble, and Davros orders a Dalek squad to go exterminate the DJ and bring the girl to him. They have a neat little scene, because, and this is where we start getting a lot of cuts back and forth between all these different stories. They have a neat little scene where they set up a a sonic weapon of sorts uh, using some of the sound equipment in the DJ's office there. I did think it was kind of funny, though how he said that they were going to destroy them with the power of rock and roll. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And it works. Uh, They blow up two Daleks with it. Unfortunately, there were three. And uh, the DJ is killed and Perry is captured. You sort of see a callback, I think, to the... uh, Was it the Sonic... 
Uh, well, the the storyline that we talked about was when we were talking about Sarah Jane. Um, oh. but it's the it's the Sonic. Uh, it's it's not a it's not a Sonic cannon. I don't think it's something else. Uh, it's where they were doing the mining and they were using it to uh, empty out. The oh, stones on Peladon. Yeah. Um, I want to say Sonic Lance, but I don't think that's... Yes. It is a yes, Sonic Lance. It's okay. the Sonic Lance. This almost seemed like a callback to that. Yeah. Uh, with the Sonic Lance. Um, almost to the point where I wanted them to call it the Sonic Lance. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe he had built one, you know, by putting together different audio components from his systems or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, But he knew the technology well enough that he could build it and make it work. You know, I think that would have been a nice little callback if we had been able to to see that. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, it, it, this is technology we've seen before in the Doctor Who universe. But uh, one last thing uh, before we start really delving into the whole climax of this episode: Davros has ordered Tassim Beaker to kill Jobel because he's tired of Jobel. He's a fool and needs to die. And of course. He's been playing up the fact with Tassim Beaker that Jobel hates her guts and humiliates her and that if someone did that to him, he would kill them. And so he orders her to do that. This guy even went so far as to say something to the effect of uh, that one of the, uh, was it one of the apprentices had died or something like that? And he looks at her and says, why couldn't it have been you? Mm-hmm. That's mean. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's just wrong. Yeah. It's horrible. She, of course, still has feelings and so tries to run and warn Jobel of what she's supposed to do. Jobel doesn't take her seriously at all and makes some sort of remark about how he would, you know, she says, but I love you. And he goes, I would rather kiss my own mother than than have anything to do with you, essentially. Uh, and he's like so condescending and just oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. He's destroying her self-image and her her self-worth. It is horrible. And so she ends up grabbing a syringe. I think it's uh, an embalming syringe. That's what it looked like. Uh, and says, "I hate you," and stabs it into his heart and runs off. Yeah. Before the Daleks kill her because her usefulness is done. Yeah, this was right after Davros had promised her that if she did this, that he would make her one of the hierarchy in the Daleks and make her a ruler in the galaxy. Yeah. That's crazy. It is. Tassin Beaker is, she's an interesting character. The actress, I don't know if she quite got it, though. I think that it was supposed to be sort of the same type of scenario that you had with Shelley Duvall in The Shining where she was supposed to be playing the the role of the beat-down, tortured person. And I, if that's the case, I think she played that really well. I just... I'll be honest with you. If, if I had to choose which one of all of the random story plots that they were going to leave in and cut the rest out, this would probably be the one out of all of them that I would leave in. Really? Uh, yeah, because I, I liked the dynamic of her being the tortured soul who just had enough and just said, you know what? Screw you. You're dead. I'm going to go on with my life. Yeah. Uh, I think that, that it was very dramatic and very uh, well executed uh, as far as all of the random story plots that they had going on. I think it would be the one 
that I would leave Anne out of the, the majority of them. I, the the whole thing with Natasha and Grigory as the grave robbers could have been done through exposition and the doctor doing just a little bit of you know investigative stuff. It could have also been done with them teaming up with the doctor at the beginning of it uh, through mm-hmm. random chance of meeting. That did not have to be a separate story plot. You know, they the doctor could have discovered the Dalek at the same time they did, and that would have taken care of two birds with one stone, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, that that one was a little bit long. And then these these other two characters, uh Takis and Lilt, I don't think were really necessary. Um They served one purpose and we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Uh the doctor hears all of this go on over the the, the DJ's radio, basically, because um, they left the the speaker open because they were trying to communicate with him. So he hears the the DJ get killed and Perry captured. Uh, he runs around the corner only to run into a couple of Daleks, and he goes, "Ah, there you are. They went that way," and he points down the hall. But of course, the Daleks know who he is, and they capture him. We'll see, you know, talking about unresolved plot points and things like that, this piece, this plot point with the DJ and everything almost felt like that this was only in there to get Perry away from the Doctor on a temporary basis mm-hmm. just so the Doctor could be captured. And that was the only purpose that it served because, you know, the way that it played out was not really a very climactic point in the story you know it Mm-mm. it was sort of downplayed compared to some of the other stuff and and it would have really been nice to have seen it be a more crucial point to the story if they were going to have that done you know yeah natasha and grigory uh are trying to figure out how to destroy the incubator room, but the Dalek is growing at a very rapid rate there on the metamorphosis machine, and they decide they need to leave. Unfortunately, as they are heading towards the door, this halfway metamorphosized Dalek starts levitating on the platform, shoots them both dead before blowing up, because it's not complete. And does it does it destroy the incubator room as well? I don't recall. I don't remember. I think it might because um, I think the whole point was supposed to be that it sacrificed itself in order to kill them mm-hmm. um, because uh, it was basically just biding its time trying to get as developed as it possibly could before they tried to make a move. Right. Kara has been brought before Davros. And he, of course, accuses her of trying to assassinate him with Orsini, the captured Orsini there in front of her. She, of course, denies it. And then he orders Orsini to start to activate the device that she gave him. He gets four of the five buttons pushed before she jumps in and says, no, no, it's a bomb. You know, fine. You caught me. And uh, Orsini then stabs her to death with a hidden, essentially a hidden, looks like a giant needle. She accuses him of being a fool and and tells him that uh, he's just unskilled because he got caught and 
and the whole nine yards. And she says, you've doomed us all to death. And he says, you first. And then he stabs her. Yep. <laughs> and, of course, she falls down dead right around the time that the Doctor and Perry are all brought before Davros again. And this is where, from about this point on, things move very well in the story. And this point on... Things are going the way they should in a Doctor Who story, and I like the the last 10 to 15 minutes or so of the second episode a lot. This is also where Davros turns into the uh, James Bond villain again. Oh, yes. We, we get to the point where, of course, Davros, like you said, turns into the James Bond villain who reveals his plans, and he's going to turn the Doctor and Perry into Daleks as his final revenge for all the problems that you've ever caused me! You know, um... And he reveals that his laboratory uh, takes the, the bodies of the, these humans and the unworthy brains of these humans uh, that have been supposed to have been in suspended animation here at Tranquil Repose. And he's been using that as the protein that he is selling to the galaxy at large yeah. in this area. Intergalactic potted meat. Yeah. And That's um, so gross. And cannibalism. Yeah. Uh, unknown cannibalism. It's horrible. It's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that's, really, really dark. <laughs> and that's something that I felt could have been played up a bit more because we didn't really get yeah. too much on that. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if there was a reason why we didn't get too much on that because I wonder if they thought it would be too much. You it's know? Impossible. <laughs> Um, but I would have, I personally would have uh, liked to have seen that go a step further, uh, sort of similar to what we saw with the assembly line scenes in uh, the first Cybermen story that we got in the new series, where you actually saw, you know, the hint of people being dismembered and whatnot. Yeah. You know, that yeah. would have been interesting. Davros is going to activate something, I think, to, to start the process of, of getting the Doctor and Perry ready for their becoming D Daleks, I think. I don't remember, recall, but he's reaching for something. Well, if, if you'll remember, though, uh, the he told the Doctor that he would be the one person he would not turn into a Dalek. Oh, that's right. That he would make sure that he tortured him and killed him because of him being such a nuisance to him. That is true. Over, over the, the years. But... Uh, he was about to, uh, I believe, fully automate That's the it. production process. That's it. He was about to fully automate the process, and he's reaching for the button when Bostock, who we thought was dead and was near death, shoots his hand off. His one remaining good hand. Yes. And, of course, this fries Davros to no end. He's not happy about it. But, you know, and Bostock has gotten rid of for good this time. Takis and Lilt have had enough of all this hubbub that's going on in their facility. They're tired of getting caught up in the middle of it and tired of the Daleks running the show. They have called the Daleks loyal to the Supreme Dalek from Scarrow, who have been looking for Davros for, crimes, seeing, for crimes against the Daleks. Are you seeing the one issue here with their stance versus the grave robbers they're on the same side but they never take the time to find out that they're on the same side yeah 
And so they end up being nothing but a nuisance through the entire story until you get to the very end of it when they serve one purpose. Yeah. I think that, you know, like I said, had you taken these characters and mixed them up together and put them in a environment where they had to interact more with one another on a larger basis, they could have served a larger purpose, not been just an annoyance in the story, and still have served their purpose at the end. Yeah. The the Scaro Daleks emerge into the catacombs and make quick work of Davros's Daleks, which are white and gold Daleks, by the way. But they go in and they start tearing up the place, basically. And they definitely have the upper hand. They burst into Davros's lab, take him prisoner, and Davros tries to get their attention turned away from him by going, but see, that's the doctor! And the Scaro Daleks are not as well informed as Davros and his Daleks because they don't recognize him as the doctor in this regeneration. And they say, well, his identity will be determined when we get back to Scaro. And so they continue on taking Davros into custody. The interesting thing is, and I'm trying to remember where this was in the story, the the Daleks, the Scaro Daleks, take Davros away, and the Doctor, Perry, Orsini, Takis, and Lilt are left as prisoners in uh, the lab, protected by a Scaro Dalek outside. And they have to try and figure out how to escape, because Orsini wants to use the bomb that was given to him to blow up the facility and the production line, put an end to Davros's schemes here. So they trick the Scarodalek in. They use one of Orsini's guns that had been discarded to shoot out its eye stock, and Orsini has produced a, a small grenade from one of his hidden pockets, I'm sure, uh, and they blow it up. They're able to escape. The doctor tries to offer Orsini a way out, and Orsini's like, no. I'm going to go out with honor and dignity this time and sends the doctor on his way. He see, gives... This would be something I would like to see in, in uh, even a possibly a new Doctor Who episode would be something to talk about the order that he was a part of and maybe yeah. even show him as a younger character. Yeah. That, uh, I think that would be really interesting to see. Member of the Order of the Knights of Oberon and he gives the doctor his pendant or his pin excuse me from from this order and says take this back to my order and tell them of my my final sacrifice here which is implied that you know he'll be reinstated posthumously uh, into the order and the doctor promises to do so he runs out after the rest of the group as orsini blows up the compound the scaro daleks manage to get to their ship and take off with davros before they're able to be stopped and the blast does not catch their escaping ship, and everything is thrown into chaos. The catacombs are completely destroyed, yeah. the facilities at Tranquil Repose are in complete disrepair now, and it, word is going to get out that the factories that have been producing food were actually using human remains to do so, and that's going to be bad. Tranquil Repose's reputation is going to be completely destroyed because the bodies are actually no longer there. It's just mannequins. The doctor talks to Takis and Lilt and says, well, there are these flowers that you keep decorating everything with. They come from this plant that's similar to the soy plant on Earth. You can generate protein from that. Yeah. You can keep the factories open. Okay. And then... Perry asks the doctor, can we go on vacation somewhere, somewhere nice? And he goes, <laughs> all right, I'll take you. 
I'll take you to, and then it freezes. Yeah, that was and so we cool. Hit the credits. <laughs> I like the, the way they ended that. I thought that was really cool because at that point you could insert any following episode that you wanted to after that, and it would still make sense. You yes. Know? <laughs> the interesting thing about that is the next season was originally in production, and he was originally going to say Blackpool, which would have left led directly into the first episode of the following season. However, this is when BBC decided they didn't really want to have Doctor Who on the air anymore, and it was that season was dropped. This period is now known as the 18-month hiatus because Colin Baker and Doctor Who fans rose up and got the series renewed again. And by the time that all happened, they came up with the Trial of a Time Lord season. Mm. And that was made instead of what was coming up next. Now, the interesting thing that I was looking up in my research on this is the adventure in Blackpool was going to be called The Nightmare Fair and would have featured the return of the Celestial Toymaker, who was a villain the first Doctor faced way back in 1966. Um, And... They would have gotten the actor back too. Really? For that. He was signed on to do it. But then, of course, the season got canceled and that was never put into, you know, actual principal production, which is disappointing because I think that would have been a fascinating story. <laughs> now, if you want to hear the story or see the story, it was novelized as a lost episode and Big Finish did an audio version of it. Nice. Um, so I think I may have to track that down <laughs> um, because I'm curious about it now. I'm assuming it would still fall in between this uh, story and the Trial of the Time Lord. It would. It would. Um, there's a lot that they have you know, gone back and, and created uh, through Big Finish in particular that'll take place between this uh, episode and Trial of a Time Lord. I think they even had a series called The Lost Season. I think. I could be wrong. Um, <laughs> but that they, they created for, with Big Finish. So, But yeah, it's disappointing that we didn't get to see that. Because I think that would have been a really neat story. But the actor did not return for the Big Finish Productions um, version of it. Uh, so they cast somebody else. But I, I like the idea that they went back and revisited that character. Now the Celestial Toymaker is a character whose story is largely lost. Mm-hmm. Three of the four episodes are, are incomplete or lost. Um, only the final episode is survives in its entirety, and you can actually see that on the Lost Episodes DVD set that they released uh, with the first Doctor. And it's an interesting story idea. I'd encourage you to go check it out if you have the chance. But yeah, I think that would have been cool. But enough about that. Overall thoughts and a rating on... Revelation of the Daleks, Paul. Did you notice that once we skipped over all of the fat in this story, how brief the actual story was in comparison and how much more simplified it was than what it was in the actual episodes? Yeah. Yeah. This story needed a rewrite. A total (laughs) rewrite. And a simplification. And uh, th- like I said, the last 10 to 15 minutes of it, really good. The interaction of Davros and the Doctor, I love. It's classic Davros, classic Doctor, and the interaction as the sixth Doctor is actually very good with that, too. So you're saying that um, Carrie Fisher should have come in and done a script Doctor? 
script edit yeah maybe could she couldn't have done anything worse to it could you imagine oh wow could carrie fisher to help write doctor who my goodness anyway uh, (laughs) the the thing with this is on paper it looks like it would work the way that they executed it and the amount of time they devoted in the first episode to a lot of a lot and a lot and a lot of setup was excessive the second episode seemed much faster than the first when i was watching this that's because that's where most of the story was yeah and and i feel like you could have gotten to the second episode 15 to 20 minutes into that 45 minute episode in that first part easily Uh, easily easily and i mean that there was so much fat in that first episode that didn't need to be there you could have cut a lot of that out moved up when the doctor and perry got to tranquil repose and get a lot of the other character development interactions so much better with what happens in the second half of this story right you know get that spread out a little bit more and you know, trim out some of these excessive plot points. Heck, and it would you could so have even better. had them appear in the garden, and the first thing the doctor sees is that memorial stone. That would have gotten your point across very quickly, very easily, and you wouldn't have had to have had all that build up to get to it. You could have had one of those lead-in scenes. Uh, like they have on the new series where they, they land, the doctor gets out and he discovers this and all of a sudden when you go into the opening credits, you know, yeah. uh, and that would have been very dynamic way to start the episode in my opinion. And you could have, I mean, you could have had it all start with the doctor landing in some secluded corner of the garden. Mm hmm running across the mutant in the garden. Right. And you could have cut out so much of that first episode by just moving with his landing location. Or maybe the mutant doesn't even, or I, I personally think it's a muto, but anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, tomato, tomato, right? You could have not even had the, the thing attack them. They could have found him already in the process of dying. Uh, yeah. And then they look up and there's that memorial stone, you know? Right. Right. The... I want to make sure I, I, I say this. The acting in this, especially from a lot of our primary characters, was good. I like the characterizations. The writing of this episode had so many issues. And that's where my issue with this storyline is. is Because this could have been a standout episode. But here I am, and I, I, I'm thinking it's going to end up being my, my lowest rated Dalek episode to date. With the exception of a couple of death scenes which we've discussed before that sometimes some of the death scenes are not uh, as believable as they should be, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, with the exception of a couple of those, I thought the acting in this was pretty much spot on across the board. The weakest, and I know that this is going to sound mean, but it's not intended to be, but I think the weakest point as far as acting in this, and I think it's only because of what you brought up earlier with the accents and everything else was probably Perry, you know. Um, Perry Perry you know, or Tassenbeaker. I, I think some of her acting was a little off at times, but... But I, I just felt like that everything kind of clicked when it came to that part of it, you know. None of that took me out of the episode. I thought that it was very well executed as far as the acting and everything goes. I loved Davros in this. I loved the Doctor in this as far as their behavior and their you know, interactions and things like that. But there wasn't enough doctor in it. Mm -mm. 
there honestly wasn't enough Davros in it if you really want to get down to it. Right. And the the thing about it as well is that they they revealed Davros too early. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have tied these characters together a lot faster in the story and made this a lot more concise. It only needed to be one episode. I'm going to go ahead and give my rating on this. Okay. Um, and I really hate to say it because, like I said, I love Colin Baker in this and, and I love the performance of Davros and everything else, but I'm going to have to give it a five. Uh, it It's just because of the execution. Yeah. You know, because that, of it having so much wasted space in it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm going to have to five or five and a half at best, you know, and, and that's being generous to it. If I say five and a half, like I said, Colin Baker's great. I love his doctor and he's got mm-hmm. when we get to our Cyberman episodes, I really like his Cyberman episode. <laughs> it's a great story. And he's great in it. This should have been a great story too. And the well, writing the, the was just overall. The overall story itself, the the real bones of the story, was good. Mm-hmm. It was all of the junk that was laid on top of it yeah, and definitely. smeared in all different directions. And it was and not you cohesive. That, you had things that didn't tie into anything else. You had things that never got resolved, you know, because like you said, if Perry killed this guy at the beginning, shouldn't that regret or whatever carry over farther into the episode, Mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to uh, 30 seconds of, I killed him and he forgave me. Why would he do that? You know, and that's all that gets said about it. Yeah. You know, and then she seemed that the, the writing of the episode seems to completely forget that that happened next time we see them. Right. It's almost like, okay, you know, that was three or four or five, six days ago. Yeah. And we've been walking this entire time. But the, <laughs> you know, the, the timeline of the story does not match up to that, you right. know? So I don't know. I mean, it, I just felt like there were a lot of missed opportunities. Um, there were, a lot of ways that this could have been made much more concise and much more thought out as Better. far as, as, as the, the pacing and everything else. And I just, I hate to have to give it that low of a rating because I like the overall story. Yeah. The bon- I just can't get past it, you know. I know, I know, I know. It, it pains me to do this. I, I, I don't like being negative Nancy on Doctor Who because I mean I love the show and I love the characters right. and and like I said many times I I think Colin Baker is one of the, the most underappreciated doctors out there and this episode needed more of him in order to make it better yeah and it just wasn't oh. there it just wasn't there they had him and Perry <laughs> do absolutely nothing until the second episode. And that's the that's the biggest problem with this story is that they had nothing to do really until episode two of this two parter. So anyway. Alright. I think I think we need to get off the soapbox because we've said well, this over and over. Know. This should have been a good story. It could have been a really good story. And it just the production of it fell so far short. 
Well, it's like we've said with other topics and stuff too, though. You can still point out flaws and stuff and still be uber fans, you know. Right. Uh, you don't have to love every minute detail of everything in your fandom. Uh, you can you can say, hey, look, this one thing is stupid, you know, or this one thing is boring, or this one thing is whatever, you know. Uh, we're we're not going to sit here and pretend that there's never been a bad episode of Doctor Who. Right, right. And this is one of them, <laughs> unfortunately. All right, well, if you think we got too hard on this episode, or if you think we weren't hard enough on this episode, we want to hear your thoughts about Revelation of the Daleks. Yeah. Go ahead and get in contact with us on our social media, facebook.com slash talkingtimelords. You can tweet us at talkingtimelord, or email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Our TARDIS on the internet is our website, TalkingTimeLords.com, where we have links to all of our social media, as well as links to every single one of our previously released episodes. So be sure to go check that out. Please, if you listen to us on iTunes, go ahead and leave us a uh, positive review. If you uh, listen to us there, that would we would greatly appreciate that, and that would definitely help us out in the queue so that we can get a little more visibility than where we're at right now, which you, uh, you kind of have to just type in our podcast name in order to find it on iTunes. So, but uh, anything else, Paul, before we wrap up this episode? I'm looking forward to our next episode. Oh, so am I. So am I. Oh, man. <laughs> I can't wait to rewatch Revelation of the Daleks. I love Sylvester McCoy as the yeah. Seventh Doctor. Ace is one of the best companions ever. And this could be the best Dalek story since Genesis of the Daleks. In, you think so? I think so. <laughs> oh, and it's it's such a good episode. And I cannot wait, cannot wait to talk about uh, Remembrance of the Daleks next time. There's oh. something that we forgot to point out in this episode, though. Okay. This is actually the first time that you see the use of humans being used to create Daleks. Yes. So, and of course, that that's a genetically will, inferior... Right. And that will eventually lead into uh, future Dalek storylines in the new Who series. Yes. Yes, it will. And I'm sure many people are going, oh, yes, when we say that. But we will get there eventually. As we said, Revelation of the Daleks is coming up next, so go back and rewatch that if you have the ability to. It's a great little story, and I cannot wait. Oh, so many good things. <laughs> so many good things. I'm going to have... If, if for no other reason, because Jason will get to do the Seventh Doctor's monologue. Yes! Oh. <laughs> And we will leave you on that positive note. Uh, this has been episode number 37 of Talking Time Lords, Revelation of the Daleks Story Review. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.
And we will leave you on that positive note. Uh, this has been episode number 37 of Talking Time Lords, Revelation of the Daleks Story Review. For Paul, I'm Jason, and we will see you next time here in the Wampa's Lair. That's not what? so. No. I'm going to do that over again. Please do. Oh, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. Actually, I can because I've done that I, Wampus Lair before. I can because you're sitting here thinking, in 10 minutes, I have to be on Wampus Lair. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs>